and the courts ruled that electricity was a public improvement similar to public works and utilities. Um, and we argued that reliable high-speed broadband internet is also a public utility and a public works and, and, the, and the judge ruled in our favor. This is episode 326 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm Lisa Gonzalez. In this episode, four folks from Mont Bellevue, Texas, talk with Christopher about their network, MB Link. Nathan Watkins, Dwight Thomas, Scott Swigert, and Brian Ligon discuss their experiences with the network that the community has been quick to embrace. They talk about some of the challenges they've faced, including a hurdle put in place by the state of Texas, and the many ways overcoming those challenges have paid off. Mont Bellevue has a thriving oil and gas industry, but they're quickly becoming known for their gigabit connectivity. Now here's Christopher with Nathan Watkins, Dwight Thomas, Scott Swigert, and Brian Ligon. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell with the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, and today we're breaking a record. We're going to have more people on this show than we have had in any other episode. So let me start by introducing these folks from Mont Bellevue, Texas. Nathan Watkins is the city manager. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. And we have Dwight Thomas, the Director of Broadband and IT. Thank you for having me as well. We also have Scott Swigert, the Assistant City Manager. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you for having me today. And Brian Ligon, the Marketing and Communications Director for the City. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So let's start with uh, Nathan with a little bit of background. Mont Bellevue, uh, a little bit of, uh, east of Houston. Uh, tell me a little bit more about the community and uh, the size and just give the audience a sense of where you're at. Okay, the city of Mont Bellevue is located on Interstate 10, just north of uh, Interstate 10. We're approximately 14 square miles, just under 8,000 population. Um, we were incorporated in the 60s. Primarily, we were an industrial town. Um, there was oil and gas drilling here that started in the early 1900s, and that evolved into storing natural gas liquids in underground salt formations here. It's the largest and highest quality salt dome in the world, and that's kind of what makes Mont W special. Um, 85% of the natural gas liquids in the United States are processed here. We have pipelines that come in from the East Coast. Uh, all the way from Pennsylvania and then from to the west of us, uh, from New Mexico and north to Nebraska, kind of all pipelines merge here. We have 10,000 linear miles of pipeline and two square miles located on the Salt Dome Complex. So an oil and gas industrial town, and that's where our revenue comes from, and that's what gives us the opportunity to uh, do pro- great projects like MB-Link. So let's talk about NVLink because it sounds like one of the other thing that sets you apart is you're probably one of the better connected cities in all of Texas now. Tell us about that. We're definitely one of the better connected cities in in all of Texas now, but that wasn't always the case. Um, About four or five years ago, we started hearing um, complaints from our businesses and our residents about our internet connectivity and reliability and um, and the frustrations associated with that. We went out and conducted a survey and pretty uh, conclusive that 90% of our residents felt that we didn't have uh, broadband um, and that they felt that, and that internet or modern day internet was a critical utility just like water and sewer. So that's what really kicked us off into looking at, at becoming the first city in the state of Texas um, to do a 100% rollout and become an 
and, and ISP for the community. I'm curious if anyone else wants to jump in and, and give a sense of what it was like to, to make this decision and what motivated it. Yes, Nathan, I'll add to that. Um, so it was, it was really driven by our residents' need for reliable internet. I mean, that, that doesn't seem, you know, in, in 2018 and, and previously 2015, 16, that doesn't seem like a challenge a lot of communities face, especially one that's 30 miles east of Houston. Um, but it's definitely one that we were facing. Uh, our, the fastest speeds that were available in the, in the city of Mont Bellevue whenever we got started were, um, one and a half megs DSL and five megs, um, over cable. And there was basically two providers, um, for the entire, for the entire 14 square miles. Ultimately, we had, uh, new subdivisions going in. We've kind of been in a high growth, um, area for the last six to seven years. Um, growing at about 8% a year. Um, but we had new homes going in and new sections of subdivisions where um, broadband providers and internet service providers just simply refused to go in and said, hey, we're not going to bring service to these 120 new homes in the community. So people were having to rely on cell phone connections and mobile hotspots to, uh, to address their needs for internet. So let me ask you, Dwight, um, the MB-Link was your, your answer to that. What exactly is MB-Link in terms of the services that are available and, and who offers them? Sure. So MB-Link is a 100% uh, fiber optic, and we can call this probably uh, fiber to the user uh, network. Uh, essentially, we take it a little bit farther than, uh, than most of your typical fiber to the home uh, implementations, uh, whereas we bring the fiber directly inside uh, to you. Just as Nathan mentioned, this was to address a, a big need, uh, one that uh, I definitely came to uh, to learn more about uh, as I hired on uh, as, as being part of this project and, uh, and ultimately for the city. So at the moment, uh, MB Link, we only offer one play, uh, which is data at the, at the moment. We kind of, uh, the initial package was the uh, what some call the Google package. It's uh, up to a gig up, up to a gig down uh, is what we know for residential. Uh, rolling out residential services now uh, and looking forward to uh, bringing on businesses uh, first of the year. And let me know a little bit about the competitive environment. Have you seen the incumbents step up now that you've set the bar so high? Uh, yes. And actually, I, I've spoken to probably all except Comcast at the moment. So in this area, we have two major uh, which is uh, Verizon Frontier and, of course, Comcast. And then we also have a, a sort of a WISP, uh, which is called IMS. And at some point, I've talked to all of them about this, uh, about what we're offering. And, uh, <laughs> and they understand it. Uh, of course, they are definitely aware of all the challenges and uh, ultimately could not believe that we were able to get this off of the ground and it, and it be, so, be as uh, successful as it is. Brian, let me ask you, as the, the marketing communications person, uh, have you faced a challenge in terms of marketing a, a city-owned service in a, what I assume is a pretty standard conservative-thinking town in Texas? I got to tell you, it's actually been a lot easier than you might think. We understand that the national providers have the greatest minds with all the, the bells and whistles and national marketing and advertising campaigns, but we have one thing that they can't buy, and that's hometown. We are their hometown internet service. We're the ones that are building the network, we're installing the network, 
Um, it, it, we, we touch these customers every day. The, the same people that they rely on for water, sewer, uh, they, they now can trust for internet. Um, you know, when people go and they, they turn the, the water faucet on, they don't, they don't think about, well, is, is my water going to come on today? Uh, if they go and flush the toilet, they don't go, is, is the toilet going to flush today? It just works. And, and so we've been able to, to take that, that brand equity as the city, as I mean, people live inside of our brand. They chose to live here for a reason. We've been able to take that and, and, and use that to our advantage to, to gain that adoption uh, of the service, to let people know that, you know, when they call us, it's going to be different. Um, it's not odd for Dwight to actually go and meet with a, meet with a customer and, and address their needs individually. Um, he won't tell you this cause he's, uh, you know, too humble, but I will tell you that, you know, there, he, he was actually at a customer's house the other day. He was telling me about a, a, a call he had. He went to a, a resident's house and, and, uh, helped them address their issue individually and got them where they were like, nah, this doesn't work. This is new. And I shouldn't have jumped on this train to, oh man, this really works. Thank you. And he said, and, and that, that customer told him, I never would have gotten the time and attention that you gave me today to get this running the way that I would, you know, from a national provider. I don't understand. Why did you do this? And that's the thing. It's, it's because it's hometown service. You know, that that's that's what's differentiating us in the marketplace. And it's the one thing the big providers can't buy. That's great. Those are the stories that we love to collect. Uh, Scott, you know, I'd like to bring you in as assistant city manager and ask you, you know, are you seeing uh, any changes in the community as a result of this? Uh, you know, any anything that comes to mind when gives you some pride about um, your community doing this service? Well, I know one of the things that I've had conversations with some of the families that have actually getting on uh, MB Link is the fact that now they are able to enjoy some of the amenities a lot of people have already been able to enjoy across the country. You know, now that we've got a, a gigabyte service uh, that they're able to tap into, they're able to get the smart devices for their homes. They're able to get the Alexis. They're able to get the the, the, the air conditioner controls that you can control through through your uh, your your internet and 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 your your security cameras and security systems that they haven't been able to utilize in the past and now they can use those smart devices uh, and so that's that's been a great positive for our community. That's really good to hear. Now, you know, I was just in an event um, last week in Ohio, and I was speaking with a community from Texas up in the um, the region around Dallas. And uh, Nathan, I'm going to ask you this as a, the city manager. Um, they were under the impression that they could not even build a municipal network, and they, they said that they had um, reached out to the attorney general of Texas, who told them that uh, they couldn't. And um, I know there's been some confusion because Texas is quite clear that uh, cities cannot build uh, local exchange services like telephone or cable services. Uh, so can you tell us a little bit about Texas law and, and how you went about building your network? Yeah, that's definitely a, a similar position we were in once we conducted a feasibility study and and it looked like this was something that was going to be feasible and we wanted to to take on. So uh, we started going through the case law. And just like you mentioned, um, there's very specific law uh, around 
switched access and municipalities are prohibited from attaining the required certificates for doing uh, telephone services. And But it, it was really unclear whether or not um, a broadband network um, was included in that or not. So as part of this process, we sought a declarat declaratory judgment from the Attorney General regarding our ability to issue debt for for solely owned broadband fiber to the home network. Um, the court ruled in our favor and the, the Attorney General uh, accepted that ruling. Uh, we issued the debt and, and it's kind of, uh, it, you know, history's in the books and, and we're, we're building them. We've got customers uh, on the system now. The interesting thing is we use case law um, regarding public utilities from the early 1900s. We spe specifically used electrical case law where cities were, were getting into electrical service in the 1913s and 1925. We used a, a case from Nacogdoches and a case from uh, the city of Clifton uh, regarding this matter and and the courts ruled that electricity was a public improvement similar to public works and utilities um, and we argued that reliable high-speed broadband internet is also a public utility uh, and a public works and and the and the judge ruled in our favor well, I think that's it's interesting on on two levels because you actually solved two problems. I think one was whether or not the city could own and operate, and the second is financing, and you were able to achieve both goals. That's correct. We and those were specifically the two things that we had to address. One, could we issue the debt to to do the project? I know other cities have done have included fiber in in other bond packages but there had never been a sole issuance for uh, the construction of a broadband network. Um, so we, we had to get that addressed. And then uh, the, and the attorney general agreed with us there. And then uh, the legislation saying regarding electrical utilities and how that was comparable to a modern day uh, broadband network. And the judge ruled in our favor and said, yes, it's critical infrastructure, just like water and sewer and everybody should have access to it. Well, and now everyone will. Uh, so that's, you know, that's uh, correct. Dwight, let me come back to you. What's the plan? You said that um, you're serving residents today and you're going to start serving um, businesses uh, next year. Uh, what's the plan for when it'll be available to everyone? Maybe first quarter of, uh, of next year, I mean, it'll be available to everybody. Uh, the preference, though, was uh, to take care of the citizens first, the res our residential customers. <clears throat> they had the greatest need. And of course, uh, part of our, uh, I guess you can say, implementation of layout. I know some cities, you know, may have more businesses than they do homes. Ours was a little bit of a mix, uh, whereas the uh, our residential customers kind of were a little bit larger than our businesses at the moment. So that's been our focus. Uh, we've been attacking that uh, with great uh, fervor, and now we're moving over to the businesses, which all have uh, <laughs> have have uh since that they that they wanted they've expressed their interest in it and uh, they're ready to move forward with it so we're looking to do that and uh and just to add to that chris uh this is really just uh, the start of some of the things that we're doing here uh we're looking to uh move over to the smart uh, city space as well which the fiber that we're laying uh provides a great foundation for that too so a lot, a lot of big things happening here in my bedroom 
Are you seeing um, other communities around you that are, were in a similar position to what you were in? Are they looking at what you're doing and thinking, man, I'd like to get me some of that here? Yeah, we've reached out and spoken to several different city manager groups, um, uh, city manager study groups, uh, city manager luncheons. Um, and then and then there's actually other city councils we've heard of that have initiated this process. The, I think the scenario was kind of a perfect storm for the city of Mont Bellevue to be the first to try it out. One, uh, we didn't have the connectivity that our community desired. Uh, we had the means uh, to issue the debt and service the debt to deliver the project. And um, the business model was built around um, a 65% penetration rate. So uh, we, our goal was to have 800 homes connected by the end of the third year, we had 700 homes connected um, before we even went live to the first customer. So uh, <laughs> there was so much pent up demand. Um, we had all of our residents paid their deposit, put their money down and said, hey, we want to be on the list before we even had the first person connected. And really the biggest challenge we face now is um, there's, there's a wait to get on it, as Dwight mentioned, it'll probably be the first quarter early next year before we can get everybody connected that, that has signed up. And uh, so it's, it's the problem. The challenge we face now is, is how fast we can get everybody online. It's not a, it's not a matter of if we're going to, we're going to make, meet our penetration rates and if we're going to meet the business model um, projections, it's just, getting it out there and getting it delivered, getting it done. That's, that's great to hear. I mean, I think 65% is ambitious and, um, you know, I'm curious, Brian, um, you know, if you would, um, have any words of advice for other communities that are, that are looking at that, because, you know, in our experience, word of mouth and, and, and existing demand is enough to get you 20 or 30% of the market, but it often takes some savvy marketing to make sure you're cracking above 50%. I I would agree. Um, You know, the the thing I would tell uh, other broadband marketers that may be uh, or or potential broadband marketers that are getting into this space, and I've had to learn very quickly, being that we're the first in Texas and one of a handful, I I don't have a lot of other uh, government communicators that I can say, hey, so what did you do for your broadband network? I mean, it doesn't exist. So I've I've had to make a lot of this up as I go. And, um, but one of the things that I would say is just making sure that, that, that brand, that co-branding, uh, happens. We co-brand, we, we make every effort to co-brand the city with the network. I, I've even gotten to the point now to where, uh, I've got our city utility workers and, and parks and rec guys wearing MB link hats when they're out in the field, they're day, you know, they're gray and, and day glow, uh, green. So it meets their OSHA requirements, but whether someone is out there cutting the grass or fixing a pothole, uh, our residents see that, those city functions, but they see them integrated, even in their roles, integrated into uh, MBLink as a, as a brand. We, we make sure that, that, that we're always putting that impression out there, the brand impression uh, for the network along with the city. We've gotten a lot of mileage out of that, and, that, and it's helped us a lot. Beyond that, uh, just leveraging the power of uh, social has been huge for us. Uh, and uh, even to the, the point that uh, Dwight and I are now doing a Friday, a scheduled Friday post every Friday at noon to help people make the most out of this new power that they have with a, 
uh, with these high-speed connections. We're doing uh, Fiber Facts Friday. And uh, if anyone wants to follow that, it's hashtag Fiber Facts Friday. And you can see what we've done so far and what we'll do in the future. But we help people make the most out of the technology that they have in their home. And, and people are loving it. We're getting great feedback on it. Yeah, this is Nathan. I'd like to add to that. You know, that's something that we were definitely concerned about is going up against the huge uh, marketing dollars of the national telecommunication companies and and how we were going to be able to address that and get the word out. But part of what has made us successful is it is the hometown service. Um, we We have just one bill that goes out. So you get your water, your sewer, your trash and your Internet bill all in one place. Um, if you've got any questions or concerns, you know, most of our residents are driving by City Hall every day and they're just a phone call away from uh, being able to talk to Brian or myself or Dwight and get the answers they need. And then the, the biggest thing is the service is exactly as we've advertised. Uh, we don't have interruptions. We don't have reliability issues. We don't have connectivity issues. We made sure that we had all the right equipment and that it's set up properly in the houses so that everybody has a, the service that we've promised and it just works. And when something just works, it spreads like wildfire through the community. And the people that were kind of on the fence and said, man, is this really going to work? No city's ever done this before. And then taking the wait and see approach. Uh, those people are the ones that I was talking about earlier that are the most disappointed that now they've got, they've got to wait 60 to 90 days before they can get service because they missed that opportunity to jump on the bandwagon um, at the beginning of it. It's really been a huge PR success for the city. Certain cities have reputations and challenges they face, and, and I think we had a very positive reputation. But getting outside the box and delivering uh, a service that was a critical need for the community and, and doing it successfully, um, just about anywhere you go now in the community, there's people talking about MB Link and how great it is. and you know, they're just so thankful and appreciative that the city council was willing to was willing to take this challenge on and make it work. So I have two questions to to finish up with, and I'll, I'll throw the first one to Scott first, and that's one about structure. A lot of the cities that have built their own networks already had electric departments, and they often would put the network under the electric department. How did you structure it in, in Mont Bellevue to for oversight and things like that? Well, we basically we stood up a whole brand new utility. Uh, we created a department from scratch, and of course, Dwight was our our first uh, employee of that new utility, uh, who's kind of come in and helped us create and develop and design uh, that structure and to grow it. Uh, it's a fast growing uh, department as it started with one, you know, six nine months ago, and and now we're you know getting closer to seven employees uh, that we're trying to pull on and, and bring on board at this time to kind of service this and we know that we're going to continue to grow as we continue to to bring on additional users and our city continues to grow as Nathan I mentioned earlier and as we get our businesses on and to be able to provide the services that we need for that and so um, again it, it's one of those things that we had to basically start from scratch and what there wasn't a place that we could really put this new utility it's, it's totally different and unique from the other things that we provide uh, but it's something that we were able to do uh, and, and and it goes back to um, just the ability that cities and municipalities have that we're able to hear the need of our our citizens 
and to be able to bring something that, that our community needs that even the private sector was not able to provide to our community, but we were able to stand up and bring that service to them, and it provided an excellence that they're not going to be able to get anywhere else. It's good information for communities to have because I think a lot of people, uh, they have those same questions about uh, where to put it um, in terms of uh, the structure of the city. Uh, now, Dwight, I'm I'm curious for um, a technical question for folks that are listening and, and starving for some technical details. Did did you go with the <laughs> GPON network, or do you want to tell us a little bit about the technology behind it? Sure, and uh, and Chris, you all right. Uh, this is definitely a GPON and active Ethernet network, uh, primarily GPON, uh, due to the flexibility that I get from it, and of course the ability to be able to uh, to serve or, or to split and serve many customers. Uh, I don't know how deep you want to go into, <laughs> into the technical <laughs> stuff, Chris, but uh, uh, this is uh, I can talk about this stuff for days. <laughs> but uh, but essentially, that's what it is. We're going to layer services on top of the down the line. Well, we will offer offer some MPLS focused ser- ser- uh, services, uh, even at land services. You know, we get closer to the business side. But right now, it's uh, primarily uh, GPON and of course uh, Active Ethernet. And so, the, it would be more active for the businesses which are likely to want the dedicated circuits. Is that what you're saying? Sure, businesses, and of course, uh, you know, you, of course, you have the occasional uh, customers who uh, who are big gamers and really, really need the bandwidth or, or exceed bandwidth is that uh, services that the uh, GPON requires, right? So we'll we'll kind of uh, walk them over to the uh, the active Ethernet side. That's great. Is there anything else anyone wants to throw in before we sign off? Things people should know about Mont Bellevue and MB Link. If they don't believe it, they should try it for themselves and their community. It can be done, and uh, you need if you need to. Try it. Come on down. We'll uh, let you hop on the network and test the speed for yourself. You'll be surprised what a city with some can-do attitude can do. Well, I like that idea. I, I wanna, I'm going to take my, my wife and kid down to um, East Texas, Louisiana area sometime in the near future. So I'll be swinging through when I do that. Definitely. Come on by, Chris. Let me thank you all for, for uh, sharing your, your background, your information with us. I think it's, it's just terrific to see a small town uh, figuring this out, moving forward, being an inspiration to others. Thank you so much. Thank you much, Chris. What a pleasure. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. That was Christopher with Nathan Watkins, Dwight Thomas, Scott Swigert, and Brian Ligon. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this podcast and the other podcasts from ILSR, Building Local Power, and the Local Energy Rules podcast. You can access them wherever you get your podcasts. Don't miss out on our original research. Subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. And while you're there, take a moment to donate. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle licensed through Creative Commons. And thanks for listening to episode 326 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast.